0: Well was turning to Romans thirteen. I had a phone call from Pastor Talbot this week, and uh, he said to pass on to the church, uh, the thanks for praying for his wife and his family and uh, he said uh, it 's a real encouragement to know that people around the country are praying for his wife, and uh, that uh, she is feeling uh, better in herself at the moment. so pray for them if you would, as we said and uh, keep them in your prayers and they'll be on the church prayer list I'm sure so we'll get reminded and so pray for them but uh, he said to pass on his thanks on behalf of him and his wife for the encouragement we are through prayer which was nice to hear. Romans chapter 13 let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father we thank you this morning for this your word we thank you that you gave it unto us to be instructive To be a light to our path, a lamp to our feet, to help us, Father God, to know you and to know your will. And we pray, Father, this morning as we look into your word, you give us understanding, give us guidance, Father God. Give me wisdom as I speak to speak your word clearly. Uh, And uh, Lord, help us to glean from your word that which you'd have for us today. Bless us through it, encourage us by it, and may you be exalted. God, now our time we pray in this, your word we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We know that Paul in Romans chapter 12 and 13 has been addressing the matter of relationships with regard to you and I as believers and our relationships to various things and groups. First he talks about our relationship with God in Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 and he tells us that we're to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable under God, then he talks about our relationship with ourselves and he says we're not to consider ourselves more highly about ourselves than we ought. He then expands the circle and talks about our relationship within the church amongst fellow believers. Then he discusses the relationship among our friends. Last time we were in Romans chapter 12, we talked about our relationship with our enemies at the end of the chapter there in verses uh, 17 to 21. Today, we're going to expand the circle a little wider and we're going to talk about how to relate to government. Romans chapter 13 is the classic passage in all of the Bible about the relationship of believers to the governments that you and I find ourselves under. It explains how you and I are to relate to our governments. And so we're going to take a few weeks to look at it, because today we're just going to look at one verse. Just verse 1 to set the scene for the rest of the discussion here in chapter 13. And first of all, I want us to notice this morning the command to submit to government. The command to submit to government. Look in verse 1, it says, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. there is no power of God, but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. That every soul be subject unto the higher powers. This is God's overarching precept when it comes to those in authority. And it doesn't matter what authority it is, but those in authority that you and I find ourselves under, this is God's overarching principle that you and I are to submit, be subject unto the higher powers. One commentator said this, it's a strong statement about the right of governments to rule and our responsibility to support them in fact the subject matter here in romans chapter 12 verse 1 continues from the previous section where it talks about doing right towards all men look in verse 17 it tells us reckon pence to no man evil for evil provide things honest in sight of all men if it be possible as much as lieth in you live peaceably with all men love beloved avenge not yourselves but Rather give peace, place unto the wrath for his written vengeance is mine I will repay saith the Lord, therefore if thine enemy hunger feed him if he thirst give him drink for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head, be not overcome with the, of evil, but overcome evil with good, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. remember the chapter visions aren't inspired okay it's in the same context it's in this context of you and I making sure that we allow God to take the vengeance, that you and I seek to live peacefully with all men, that you and I seek to uh, uh, be in relationship with people the way we should. And especially in reference to giving place to wrath and letting God avenge those who do wrong towards us. And the principle of Romans chapter 12, verses 17 to 21, is equally true for governments as it is for individuals. The principles laid down in Romans 12 are the same principles that govern our relationship to those who are in authority over us. And Paul in this Romans chapter 13 addresses the exhortation to every soul, let every soul be subject unto the high powers. That's every one of us. There is no exemptions here. There's nobody here who doesn't fit the bill here. This is for every one of us. We are to follow this Command, And the injunction, let every soul be subject under the higher powers, is a command. This is not a suggestion. This is not a recommendation. This is not something that we can do if we feel like it. This is a command of God. God commands us to be subject. In fact, in the original language, the phrase every soul is placed in a, in a position in the Greek, which means it's emphatic it's at the beginning of the sentence. So that we understand that what he's saying here is the responsibility of every soul. Every soul is to do what is following. It shows the apostle regards this as a very important matter. It's also a sweeping command. But it's more than just submitting to our governments, but it's to all those in authority. It would include respect for police respect for teachers, respect for employers. covers anybody in authority. Now, in particular, the focus here is on rulers, but it is also expanded to be embracing all in authority over us. It's an appeal to individual responsibility. Somebody said, if you're going to claim to be a Christian, then you ought to submit to your governments and you also need to be good citizens. One of the realities of being a believer is that you and I ought to be good citizens. You and I ought to do the best to live by the laws of the land. You and I ought to be good citizens. We ought to be an example to others of what it is to be a citizen. And the command to be subject or to be submissive if we are truthful is a command that is hard for us. I mean, none of us really like submitting in any context. Submission is, is a hard thing for us as individuals. Human nature does not like the thought that we have to submit to somebody else. It's a, it's a difficult command. Especially in this day and age in which we live, when the philosophy today is to think of and fight for our rights. It's all about our rights. It's all about I have the right for this, I have a right for that. And therefore, I have a right to disobey. I have a right not to do as I'm told. The Lord makes it clear here in Romans chapter 13 that it's not about our rights. This is about a command of God to you and I. And you and I really have no rights in this matter. This is about you and I. The only right we have is to obey God. This is his command And we have a responsibility to obey the commands of God. If you love me, keep my commandments, the Lord said. And it doesn't matter what command it is in the word of God, if God commands it, we have a responsibility as believers to obey it. You see, God wants you and I as believers to be good citizens. He wants you and I as much as possible to live above reproach. He wants you and I to set an example in society of what it means to submit to authority. We ought to be the examples of that principle. Now, The word subject here, let every soul be subject under higher powers, is a military word. It speaks of soldiers in subjection to a command. That's the imagery here. You know, the soldier is in the battlefield, the uh, general gives a command, to advance the troops, and the soldiers march forward to advance because they're commanded to do so. Irrespective of what they personally think about that command, they then obey because they're in the army. That's the word here. That we are to submit like a military soldier will submit to a command of a general, we're to submit to the command. God commands us to obey in every possible way, this is repeated for us in Titus. Go to Titus chapter 3, please. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 and verse 1. Talking to the Titus about his ministry to the folks in the church. He says in verse 15, these things speak, uh, verse 15 in the previous chapter, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no man despise thee. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, and to be no, no brawlers, be gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers. To obey magistrates. Now, the verb here, subject, in verse 1, is in such a uh, what's called the middle voice. And it's a command that means that every one of us is to submit him or herself to higher powers. This is something we must do. We are to submit to higher powers. And the word higher power here, the word power or authority, is referring to those who are invested with certain powers of government. First Peter talks about this. Go with me to First Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 13. First Peter 2.13. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. We're to submit ourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether that be king as supreme or to governors. We're to submit. It's the individual believer's responsibility to submit themselves to those in power, to those in authority over them and ultimately to our governments. Now at that time, the apostle is not telling us, as some have interpreted this, that we're only to obey the good powers and not the bad ones. He's not saying that. He's not, in any way, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that you and I are to pick and choose, we can obey the good authorities and we disobey the bad authorities. He's saying that we're to be subject to them whether they be good or bad. That's a tough ask. You see, you and I must remember that Paul wrote these words under Roman rule. We've got to think of the government that Paul is under. He's under the Roman government. He's living in the Roman Empire. He's not living in a democratic state. He's living under an oppressive Government, the Roman Empire. And at the time that Paul writes Romans 13, the Roman Empire, the Roman Emperor himself, is becoming more and more dictatorial. And he makes no distinction here, in his writing, about what kind of government we're to submit to. He's saying we must submit to our government, and in his context, we must submit to Rome. We must submit to the Roman government, the Roman Caesars. It doesn't say there was only one type of government to which you and I as believers are to be submissive. The command here in Romans chapter 13 verse 1 is all inclusive. All types of government, all types of authority. Good and bad, we're to submit to authority. We might not respect the person who's in power, We might not like the government that we have, but you and I must realize the Lord has allowed him or her to be there as the leader of the government, even if that person is as brutal as Caesar Nero. And Paul writes these words, Nero is in power. A corrupt despot of a leader, he's in power. When Paul writes these words, the governing authority of Paul... And the ones he's writing to in Rome are, is Nero. One commentator said this, Paul was writing these declarations under a new edict that made Christianity illegal. A new Caesar, Caesar Nero, had come to power. He was the best-known fiddler in history. We're told through church history that after sentencing the apostle Paul to death, Nero went on a rampage, persecuting Christians, burning them in his garden, feeding them to the lions. Caesar Nero was a diabolic, terrible, brutal, evil individual. Yet here, even while Nero was in power, Paul says believers were to be subject to the higher powers, believing that there is no person in power, but that God has permitted him to be there. That's the powers he's talking about here in Paul's context, is Rome. You and I need to remember also that Jesus Christ was crucified by the Romans. It was the Roman government who brought about his crucifixion. It's the same government. And if there was any, any reason why somebody should not submit to a government, you would think Paul would have all the reasons. Why then would God tell us to submit to every ruling authority? Well, the reason is because God has the ability to accomplish his will in spite of and even through less than godly leaders. Think of how God accomplished his will through a wicked king by the name of Pharaoh. He led Pharaoh to raise, rise to power and in so doing, he was able to accomplish his will. Look in Romans chapter 9 and verse 17. Romans nine seventeen. For the scripture saith unto Pharaoh, Even for this same purpose have I raised thee up, that I might show my power in thee, and that my name might be declared throughout all the earth. God raised Pharaoh up so that God could get the glory. What about Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, initially, Nebuchadnezzar was not the most gracious and godly king you can imagine. Nebuchadnezzar was a pretty brutal king. When Daniel and his friends were taken into captivity, Nebuchadnezzar was on a rampage, seeking to uh, destroy and overtake the known world. He'd made it all the way to Jerusalem. Ultimately, he's going to burn the gates and burn the city and disperse the people and take most of them into captivity. And yet God uses Nebuchadnezzar to accomplish his will. Now ultimately Nebuchadnezzar gets saved, but God uses him. And you and I can name king after king after king that God uses in the Old Testament. That you and I would find it hard to submit to, that you and I would find it hard to live under the authority of, but God placed them there for his glory. And God can accomplish his will. Even though... The rulers may be less than godly. You know, I need to remember that Rome was not a democracy. And Rome was no special friend and friend of Christians. What's about to embark upon the Christian world with Nero is one of the greatest persecutions of Christianity in all of church history. The believers are going to find themselves living in catacombs and worshipping catacombs underneath the city of Rome. They're going to find themselves hiding away because of the persecution that arises from Nero. And yet Paul and Peter later tell the believers to submit to the authority. Paul still recognized the legitimacy of of the authority of the Roman government, despite the fact that Rome was a terrible, terrible government. Poor one of the Roman Christians to have a right attitude towards their civil authorities, not cause undue difficulties for themselves. Nowhere in verse 1, nowhere in chapter 13, do we find it saying that you and I submit to good government or to democracy, or the government that you and I might like, it just says you and I submit to higher powers, be subject to the higher powers. That is to all types of government. The commentator Newell said this: "Your saviour suffered under Pontius Pilate, one of the Roman governors, Judah, one of the worst Roman governors Judah ever had, and Paul under Nero, the worst Roman emperor. And neither our Lord nor His apostle denied or reviled their authority." Some today would have us believe that the Christian thing to do is to disobey the law, to rebel against authorities. But right here in Romans 13, Paul rejects this position. And then he goes on in this chapter to give you and I quite a number of reasons for the command to submit. He doesn't just tell us the command, he then tells us why we are to submit, the reason for that. And we're not going to get to all of them today, we're just going to get to two of them here in verse 1. And next time, we'll look at the rest of them. But the reasons for the command to submit, first of all, there is no power but of God. Look in verse 1. Let every soul be subject unto higher powers, for there is no power but of God. That is, the government's authority has been given to it by God. There is no power ruling on this Earth in the time of Paul, or today, that their authority for them to rule is not being given to them by God. God has ordained governments of all shapes and types around the world. He has ordained governments, and ultimately, the purpose of those governments, as we'll see next time, is to preserve law and order. The Apostle Peter also taught The same to you and I. But he did at a time when believers were being persecuted. Go back into 1 Peter again. Let's read it again. And let's add a couple of verses. 1 Peter chapter 2. Now Peter's writing to the believers who are persecuted. These are the strangers scattered abroad under the persecution. They're suffering persecution. And he says in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13. He says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. For the Lord's sake, whether it be to kings as supreme or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, for the praise of them that do well, for so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not use your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king." They're persecuted. They're suffering the persecution under Nero. And he says to them, submit. In fact, honor all men. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. And the phrase, the powers that be, here in verse 30, chapter 13, verse 1, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. The phrase, the powers that be, speaks of those powers that are in existence. In the context, it means the powers that are governing at any time in history. This statement, Paul is saying that there is no power in and of itself, but all these powers come from God. There is no power but of God. They cannot rule, they cannot be in authority, they cannot be in a position of government or authority unless God has allowed them to be there. So the starting point for the Christian relationship to government is that we're to recognize that they are legitimate and God-given and have a God-given authority. That's hard at times when we get a government that we don't particularly like. we get a government that we don't particularly agree with. A government that we wish would not make laws that it makes. It's hard to accept that they have a God-given legitimate authority. That they're legitimate. Now, we're blessed we live in a democratic country. Every three years we get to vote. And there is potential that if we don't like the government we've got, we can get a new government that might be better than the past one. But you know, if you were in certain parts of the world today and you're reading this, that is not the choice. Some parts of the world have dictators who have uh, given themselves unlimited power and increased their uh, opportunity to be in power by years. But the rule applies. No matter what kind of government it is, whether that be a government in Beijing or a government in, in uh, Moscow, or whether that be a government in North Korea, this principle governs all of those governments we're blessed we live in a democratic society but they believers in those societies have a government that is worse than any government you and i could imagine and yet paul says peter says titus says as believers we're to be subject to them we're to recognize that they have a legitimate god-given authority the commentator this now this command raises many issues for the believer especially for those who are suffering under unjust and corrupt regimes. It is a principle though that was that was being adhered to by the early Christians, who despite their cruel treatment, did not recognise uh, sorry, did not organise armed resistance or alternative governments to undermine those in authority. They may have broken those unjust rules imposed that forbade worship, but that was because the higher law called for their submission they still submitted to the government in respect to accepting the, punish- the judgments imposed upon them for breaking the law. They admitted they broke the law and submitted to their punishments. I thought he explained it fairly well, actually. You know, this, of course, is not the way of the world. But when you think about it, you know, the early church was very effective in its ministry under these regimes, because they followed this command, and we can see the success of the early church is evidenced by the fact they prospered under unjust persecution, under us unjust governments. They managed to prosper. They managed to flourish. In fact, Christianity spread like a wildfire across the known world because of the persecution that they were under. God used the persecution to set the fires of revival in the church and it spread throughout the known world. And indeed, these believers in the early church submitted themselves to these authorities and were able, therefore, to be used of God, to the glory of God, to have the gospel propagated throughout the known world. The issue Paul addresses here is not is one of rule of law. You see, it's good for any nation that there is proper order maintained. So what happens if a ruler or a government abuses their God given authority? What are we supposed to do about it? Well, remember this God is the judge. He's the judge of all men. He's the judge of that authority. Remember Romans 12, verse 18? If it be possible, as much as life in you live peaceably with all men. Dear beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals afar on his head. Be not overcome with e- of evil, but overcome evil with good. What happens if a government abuses their God-given authority? Well, you and I are to do everything possible within us to live peaceably with all men, but we're certainly not to avenge ourselves, we're certainly to give place to wrath, and we're to let God issue the vengeance, for he will repay. That's the command. That doesn't mean believers can't speak up against governments. It doesn't mean that you and I can't try to influence the policies of those in authority. You and I have every right. As a citizen, mind you, if you lived in North Korea, you probably wouldn't be able to say anything. But living in a democratic society, you and I can write petitions to the government. You and I can petition our politicians. You and I can go and see our local member. You and I can protest against the government in that way. We can stand up and say we don't like what they're doing. That's true. We have the right in a democratic society to be able to voice our opinion. But you and I need not remember this, that when we do, you and I need to follow every legal process available to us to make that protest known. We can't break the law... To change a law that we don't like. Unless the law stops you and I doing God's will, which we'll see in a second. It means that if we break the law, even if we feel the law is wrong, that we accept any judgment or punishment imposed on us for breaking the law. And there are times whereby you and I as believers may find the need and time may come if the Lord tarries where you and I might feel the need. Because Acts 5.29 says we ought to obey God rather than men. Remember Peter and the Apostle have been arrested for preaching the gospel in Acts chapter 5 and they've been put in prison and then they're brought up before the magistrate and said why are you doing this? Say, because we ought to obey God rather than men. That's a principle, that's true. The early church practiced that. We ought to obey God rather than men, but the early church also accepted that if they disobeyed the law of the land by still preaching the gospel, even though they were told they weren't allowed to, that they would have to suffer the consequence of that behavior, and they end up in prison for it. This was the position of the early church. See, so even when we must disobey because in order to obey would mean that we breach our responsibility to a higher power who is God. Remember, he's the highest authority. If you and I have to break the law because we would be breaching the higher authority's command, then we must do it with respect. We must be polite. And we must accept any punishment that our actions may incur because that's what the Bible teaches. That's what the early church practiced. Peter, James, Paul, and Silas all went to jail for their faith. And what do you find Paul, Peter and James, Paul, and Silas doing when they're in jail? Do you find them protesting against their punishment? How unfair it is. All we were doing was obeying God. You have no right to put us in jail. No, Paul and Silas sang at midnight. Peter and James prayed. Because you see, they had a respect for the authority. They respected the authority that was over them, but they knew that they had a greater authority they had to obey. They had to obey God rather than man, but they had to accept the consequence of that obedience, which was they ended up in prison. And they left the vengeance to God. And what happened? James was put to death. Peter was set free. Paul and Silas, as they sang at midnight, found that there was an earthquake, the doors of the jail opened, and they were set free by a jailer after they led him to the Lord. You see, God had his way. God had his purpose in all that he did. And when these men sought to obey God rather than men and ended up in jail for their obedience to God, but because they accepted their punishment... God used that to his glory, to the saving of souls and the change of hearts. The second reason for submitting in verse 1 is the powers that be ordained are of God. Not only for their power, they have no power but of God. God gave them the power. God is the one who authorized their power powers that be are ordained of God. The word ordained means, speaks of ordering, arranging, or establishing. It's a military command. It's it's the idea of establishing a military company, establishing a military army. God ordained these governments. Daniel 2.21 states, he removeth kings and he setteth up kings. See, God sets them in order. That as he assigns their location, he changes and directs as he pleases. Now we need to understand that does not mean that he originates or causes the evil dispositions of the rulers. It doesn't mean that God authorizes their wickedness, that God authorizes their sinful uh, laws, their breaches of his law. But it does mean he directs and controls their appointment. God's the one who gives us the governments we have. He's the one who sets them in place. It doesn't mean he approves of their conduct, nor that what they do is always right. God's not responsible for their sin, they are. He's only responsible for their authority. And when they sin, then he will deal with their wickedness. Ultimately, it may not happen while they're in power. It may not happen while we live. But God will ultimately deal with the wickedness of those in power. As I said, God is not responsible for their sin, only their authority. That's seen in Nero, who was emperor of Rome. As Paul writes this, he was wicked, he was an ungodly man. But still the Lord commanded them to obey him. Why? Because God put him there. God ordained it. God ordained that Rome would be in power at the time of the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, and the establishment of the early church. God ordained that the power that would be would be Rome. And you and I can look back and we can see that that was the ideal time in world history for those events to take place. Fulfilled prophecy, some prophecy could not have been fulfilled if any other power was in power other than the Roman government. Rome was in power because God had ordained that to be the case. Did God like what Nero did? No. Did God like his wickedness? No. Did God uh, condone his wickedness? No way. But God's word's clear, the powers that be are ordained of God. There is no if, buts, maybes there. The powers that be in Australia today are there because God ordained that they be there. Does he condone what they do? No. But he put them there for his purpose and for his glory. It's God who sets up governments, and ultimately it's God who will judge them. God has ordained and established the powers that be because he did. We are duty-bound to submit to their authority. In verse 2 through verse 5, he goes on to talk about more reasons why you and I ought to submit to their authority. And we'll see them next time. But let's remember, whether we like our governments, like the governments we have or not, According to God's word, we're duty-bound to obey them for they're ordained of God. Therefore, may the Lord help us to show respect for our leaders even when we disagree with them, which is the case often, I'm sure, and that God will deal with them if they need to be punished. And let's remember, he's the highest power, and we must obey him before we obey anybody else. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we know this is a difficult passage for us as believers to get our heads around. Lord, we're thankful that we live in a democratic society where we get to vote every three years. We get an opportunity to see the government replaced. We know there are believers around the world, even today, who are suffering under... uh, Terrible, terrible regimes. And yet the command is true for them as it is for us. Lord, help us to show the due respect to those in authority over us that you ask of us. And Lord, if need be, that we have to disobey for the sake of obeying you, may we do it respectfully to your glory, that you might get the glory. Lord, help us as we continue to study this section next time to be able to get an understanding of just exactly what you're asking of us, that we might bring glory to your name. Commend your word to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.